the second book, Samuel. After the death of Saul, when David had returned from defeating the Amalekites, David remained two days in Ziklag. David intoned this lamentation over Saul and his son Jonathan. He ordered that the song of the bow be taught to the people of Judah. It is written in the book of Joshua. He said, Your glory, O Israel, lies slain upon your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath, proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, for the doors of the Philistines will rejoice. The daughters of the uncircumcised will exalt. You mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, or boundless fields. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Paul, anointed with oil no more. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, nor the sword of Saul remain empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you with crimson and luxury who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle. Jonathan lies slain upon your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Greatly beloved were you to me. Your love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen the weapons of war perish. The word of the Lord.
book of Psalms, which means songs, contains 150 songs, poetry which was certainly set to music. However, none of the music or the instrumentation survives. We have the words, but we do not know how the music would have sounded. It's also likely that different types of songs were used in different settings. Not necessarily all of them were for worship in the temple. We have the perfect example this morning. Today's Psalm 130 is one of the Songs of Ascent. Scholars believe that a section of the Psalter, numbers 120 through 134, were songs that people would sing as they made their way to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. Perhaps they are a sort of ancient version of car ride songs, like Row, Row, Row Your Boat, or She'll Be Coming Round the Mountain. They were songs to pass the time to keep the family and the group together by singing together. And in the case of the songs, they were a preparation of heart and mind for the pilgrims approaching Jerusalem. So Psalm 130 is a penitential song reflecting an awareness of human sin and, and most importantly, of God's forgiving grace. Now we just sang it, but let's say it again together. Chaos, 
chaos that existed before God ordered the world in creation, separating the water from the land and from the dome of the sky. This cry to God is not only for an individual situation, but is a cry to God out of the chaos, disorder, pain, and sin of our human condition. It started really early, right? Remember the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis? When the pain and the sin of the human condition is on full display in the first couple of pages. Adam and Eve disobey God. Eating fruit from the tree, God has told them not to eat. Adam blames Eve, and the whole messy saga begins. But the point to remember in that is that God is in relationship with those first humans. He's strolling in the garden in the evening breeze when he calls out to them, Where are you? Where are you? This is no distant God, but a creator who is in relationship with, enjoying and loving what he has created. The humans stumble, as humans do, and there are consequences, but God does not abandon them. Later in the text, we are told that he clothes them before he sends them out of the Garden of Eden. The words of the psalmist reflect this quality of mercy. We hear, if you, O Lord, were to know what is done amiss, who could say One translation of this is, if you, God, kept records on wrongdoings, who would stand a chance? Have you ever stayed up all night? 
Today's modern world, we do not have quite the same awareness of the dangers of the night. Electric lights, heat, air conditioning, enough food for most of us, all the comforts of modern life shield us from literal long, dark, cold nights. But not from metaphorical ones. A night of despair, a night of loneliness can be very long when we're waiting for a glimmer of light, when we're anticipating news or a phone call or a diagnosis, waiting for a long missed visitor or an answer to prayer. The psalmist, however, is eager with anticipation and faith, encouraging all of us to trust that the dawn will come, to watch and to wait for the light Hope in the Lord, she says, or with the Lord there is mercy. The Hebrew word actually in the psalm is the Hebrew word hesed. With the Lord there is hesed. This is one of the most important words in the scriptures, and one of the most powerful descriptions of God. Because hesed includes the idea of mercy, but it goes way beyond that. Hesed is God's faithfulness, God's steadfast love for Israel and for all creation for all time. So in these few verses of poetry, in Psalm 130, we have a prayer, we have hope, and we have assurance of God's hesed and forgiveness and redemption. This is the entire story of our faith in a few lines. I wanted to spend the time today going through the psalm with you so that you might have it in a new way for yourself. Perhaps it will be a part of your prayer life this week or this summer. Or maybe it will inspire you to look more closely at all the psalms, finding ones that sing particularly to you. At lunch on Friday with some friends, with some clergy friends, we were talking about preaching, and someone said, it's so important that people have to take away from the sermon. So my friends, here's the gift. 
Give us grace to do your will in all that we undertake. That our works may find favor in your sight. We pray for Polly, Ted, Beverly, John, Janine, Don Marie, Pierce, Claire, Jean, James, Susie, Bill, Susan, Tom, Steve, Beverly, Richard, Don, Barbara, Jack, Huey, Edith, Joan, Ellie, Kirsty, and Edie. Are there others? Have compassion on all on those who suffer from any grief or trouble. That they may be delivered from their distress. We pray for those who have died, especially Sarah Gay Landry, mother of Sally Myers, and Steve Washburn, whose memorial service was held here at Trinity on Wednesday. Give to the departed eternal rest. But life praise you for your saints who have entered into joy. May we also come to share in Let us pray for our own needs and those of others. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I give to you, my own peace I leave with you. Regard not our sins, but the faith of your church. And give to us the peace and unity of that heavenly city, where with the Father and the Holy Spirit live and reign now and forever. Amen. Let us confess our sins against God and our neighbor.
if you're in town, please come so we can give a nice comfort uh, welcome to the Lindsay family. We will be here with his wife Sonia, and I'm not sure yet whether all the real boys are coming or just two of the boys, but um, lovely, lovely family. He's a, he's a, a scholar of um, Carl Barth and Marcus Barth, uh, Carl's son, and I met Mark in Princeton when he was doing research for his book um, at the, the Barth Library at Princeton Seminary, and he became good friends. Here they come, away from Melbourne, to be with us. So it's a big week for people crossing large bodies of water uh, to come to Concord. And then on July 29th, again, dog days of summer, but it is the fifth Sunday of the month. And we're going to start a new thing where whenever a month has five Sundays, for the poor month, we're going to have a Trinity Town Hall. It'll be an opportunity for the vestry um, and the clergy to sort of be up front and to entertain questions and conversation about whatever you want. Uh, so the first fifth Sunday to make the decision is uh, Sunday, July 29th, so I hope you will join us for that. And finally, not in the leaflet, but I hope you noticed when you walked in, the beautiful stone baptismal font that's there in the narthex. Um, I want to read you a letter from um, Bill Nelson, who is the interim president of Episcopal Divinity School, I guess not for much longer since most of you know EDS is gone and merged a portion of its assets and programs with Union Theological Seminary in New York City. And so they deconsecrated the chapel there, got rid of a lot of things, and the spot was, was on the list of things to be auctioned off, you know, no doubt to someone's garden ornament. And Begging him for wisdom and some others here in the community said, We're not going to let that happen. We're going to keep, keep it as a baptismal font uh, so that people will be, um, will be baptized into the living waters of Christ right here. And it means a lot to a lot of people in co Trinity Congress community, and it also means a lot to a lot of other people in our diocese who have very deep connections to EDS. So be sure to, be sure to look at it and go out. But here's the letter from Bill. He says, We at EDS are so very pleased that this valuable, historic, and beautiful font will be located in such a special, historic congregation that continues to carry out so well the mission and calling of our Lord. May God bless all the people who will be baptized with the help of this lovely font and bless their parents, godparents, and the congregation that gives them support. So, you're visiting with us today. We're especially glad you're here. And you folks, please extend a warm hand of a welcome to all those. It will be a warm hand, right? A warm hand to all those seated around you. And let's always remember that at this table, there are no outcasts, no strangers, no unwanted guests. All are welcome to come and feast at the table of our Lord. So please come and do that. Let us walk in love as Christ loves us and gave himself as an offering and sacrifice to God.
Hallelujah, Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us.
Peace of God, pass all understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds. 